0: Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening, and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed. Locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. There's an enormous amount of material I would like to address today, but I'm not going to be able to get to all of it because we only have a three-hour show. Which is why I'm flirting with adding additional things to the programming here in the next several months. Because I don't have enough time to do it all. Three hours on a Monday like this is just not enough, Mr. Producer. Do you agree? It's, it's overwhelming right now. Particularly when you break it down the way we're going to break it down here. Let's start with Russia. But take it from a little bit of a different perspective. What do we learn from Russia. What do we learn from what just took place? When you have an autocracy, whether it's an autocracy, a Marxist autocracy, or a fascistic autocracy, or whatever kind, you have the inability to have comedy, C-O-M-I-T-Y. You have the inability to have, quote-unquote, bipartisanship. You have the inability to cooperate, and the inability, of course, to unite. So the long knives are out in Russia. Putin survived this one for now. This deal he made with the head of the Wagner group uh, is a facade. They're going to try and find him and kill him, as they will anybody who supported him. On the other hand, Putin can't kill everybody, And these are militia. They're not regular army. Now they're all supposed to go home wherever home is. But at some point, some of them may decide to take out Putin or one of his men. We don't know. What we do know is it's not a free country. It's not the kind of country you and I want to live in. And there are all different kinds of tyrannies. We've talked about this. Sometimes we have tyrannies that are elected. Sometimes we have tyrannies of the mob. Sometimes we have tyrannies of the Iron Fist. One man rule. All kinds of tyrannies out there. And all of them are a threat to a republic like ours. We have tyranny in our own country. We have an entity in our own country that embraces tyranny, often tries to camouflage it, but less so now, and that is more inclined towards totalitarianism than small-R republicanism or constitutionalism, and that is today's Democrat Party. Now, there was a piece I saw in the Wall Street Journal that was actually quite brilliant by Barton Swain. It says, President Biden's re-election announcement video warned that MAGA extremists are lining up to repeal bedrock freedoms. Uh-oh, what freedoms? The extremists plan on, quote, dictating what health care decisions women can make, banning books, and telling people who they love, excuse me, who they can love all by making it more difficult for you to be able to vote, unquote. <clears throat> it was a perfect expression of the paranoid state in which American progressivism finds itself. <coughs> Excuse me, I wish they would stop using that word progressivism. It's Marxism. I will use it because it's his piece, not mine. But Leave aside for a moment the line about dictating what healthcare decisions women can make, a euphemism referenced to abortion. The only threats on Biden's list, banning books, telling people who they can love and voter suppression, are literally non-existent. Mr. Biden isn't engaged in the time-honored political craft of exaggeration. He's seeing things that aren't there. Liberal commentators have been ridiculing conservatives for fears. That is, fearing negligible or non-existent threats for as long as I can remember, he writes... Communist infiltration during the Cold War, Islamic extremism in the 2000s, illegal immigration in 2010s, gender ideology in the 2020s. The right might or might not have exaggerated the urgency of these problems, but they were or are problems. That is not the case with an array of issues Democratic politicians and progressive intellectuals, a.k.a. Marxists, are exercised about in 2023. You often feel they're so invested in the idea of a delusional right that they can't perceive their own penchant for dreaming up non-existent threats. And it goes on in a very excellent way. There's that does uh, <clears throat> that article. Now, in connection with that, I want to link something up. Again, what's going on in our country? The Democrat Party. I mean, we have an election coming up. This is why there's no time than the present to be talking about these things, and then to link them into what's taking place in our country as I'm going to do. There was a philosopher, he was a journalist gentleman by the name of Raymond Aron, A-R-O-N. I've written about him before. I've talked to you about him before. He's a French philosopher. He's a great, great thinker. He said when a party, one party alone, has the monopoly of political activity, the state is indissoluble linked to it. That is, they're one and the same. In a multi-party regime in the West, the state boasts of not being circumscribed by the ideas of any competing parties. The state is neutral through the fact that it tolerates a plurality of parties. And I add, in the United States, it can now be said that the monopoly party, or at least the dominant party, is the Democrat Party. Indeed, the vast administrative state built mostly, albeit not exclusively, by the Democrat Party issues edicts, dictates, regulations, rules, fines, penalties, that serve the ideological purposes of the Democrat Party, whether the Democrat Party is in power or not. This is me speaking. It requires the affirmative intervention of a Republican administration to roll back, stop, or replace the trajectory of administrative state power exercised on behalf of the Democrat Party. You call it the swamp, but it is what it is. The administrative state <clears throat> often seeks to sabotage Republican Party initiatives and policies, thereby countering the decision of the electorate, in particular, election cycle. Indeed, it can be said that the administrative state has essentially become a permanent appendage of the Democrat Party, that is, the swamp, as you say. Consequently, even though elections are held, the Democrat Party has a permanent hold on major aspects of the government and policymaking. The more powerful the central government becomes with ubiquitous tentacles, unlimited resources, increasing police powers, the more powerful the Democrat Party becomes. So Raymond Aron goes on. He says, in a one-party regime, the state is a party state, inseparable from the party which monopolizes legitimate political activity. If instead of a state of parties, a party state exists, the state will be obliged to restrict freedom of political discussion. This should all sound familiar to you now, folks. Since the state presupposes as absolutely valid the ideology of the monopolistic party, our case, the Democrat Party, it cannot officially allow this ideology to be called into question. In fact, the restriction on freedom of political discussion varies varies in degree according to the regimes of a single party. But the essence of a single-party regime, in which the state is defined by the ideology of the monopolistic party, is not to accept all the ideas and to prevent some ideas relating to the party from being openly debated. And I say this is where the Democrat Party is driving America. The power and control of the Democrat Party and allegiance to it and its ideology, above all else, is the ends. At least with regard, writes her own, to those who do not belong to the monopolistic party, the party state, the Democrat Party, I'm arguing, is the party state. It's now the party state. Reserves for itself almost unbounded possibilities of action. Besides, if the monopolies justify justified by the vastness of the revolutionary changes to be achieved, How can one ask the exercise of power to be moderate and even legal? It's exactly. Hence the Democrat Party's endless intrusions, I write, into our lives and self-righteous justifications for it. For those who love our country and the principles and values on which it was founded, the Democrat Party has pushed and dragged the nation into a disastrous and perilous place. Decades of usurpations of the Constitution, family, and faith. Look what's going on in New Jersey with parental control now. You actually have the governor and the attorney general suing localities to impose on them the right of the educational bureaucracy to keep from parents the so-called transitioning, gender transitioning of their children. It's unbelievable. So I say decades of usurpations of the Constitution, family, and faith. And abuses of power and governance in support of a so-called progressive agenda or more to the point Marxist theories and models of ruling are destroying our country from within. And the pace of the decay has quickened and the extent has broadened. Three paragraphs from the new book, The Democrat Party Hates America. It is a longer book and so from time to time I'm going to be pulling little passages out. I'm not going to I'll use the word monopolize the program with it. But the purpose of this book is it's relatable to everything that's taking place in this country. Everything. What I just read to you there is the nature of the Democrat Party. And what I say later, and I won't read it to you, I'll just tell you, is that the Democrat Party is not merely a political party. It's a cultural party. It's not nearly merely a cultural party. It is the federal government's party. It is the party of government. That is, as Arone puts it, it is the party of the state. This is a very different characterization of what's going on in this country. Of a Republican party, whatever you think of it, it's a political party. It's not a cultural party. It's not the party of the state. It doesn't have control over the bureaucracy and on and on. The Democrat Party has that and more. Have you ever thought to yourself, why does the Democrat Party insist on shutting down the government if it can't spend all this money? Because when you shut down the government, you actually stop the flow of money, at least for a period of time. And the answer is this. Just like Xi in China, Marxist regimes, they play long ball. The Democrat Party will defend the bureaucracy to the end. It insists on expanding it. It insists on making it immune from oversight. So you have a civil service, you have public sector unions, you have the impossibility of moving people out of positions. When's the last time a department was eliminated? They're never eliminated. How about an agency? They're never eliminated. They're expanded or perhaps they're combined. They become increasingly powerful. They're reaching into your homes, they're reaching into your automobiles, they're reaching into your lives, they're reaching into your children's lives. And it's going to get far worse before it gets better. Why? Because until we accept the fact, recognize it, and tell our fellow citizens, our family members, the Democrat Party is not merely a political party. It is the party of the state. And it wants complete monopolistic control. And so even though people go through the motions of voting, it's the Democrat Party's position and activism that seeks to make it irrelevant whether you vote or not. Because they're the state party. And they will call the shots no matter what. Just another tiny little glimpse into the Democrat Party Hates America. I hope you'll grab your pre-orders as quickly as possible. As soon as it comes out, I want you to have it in your hands so we can really jump into this. We have an election coming up, and I think this is very, very important. It's important that our focus be on how diabolical and evil the Democrat Party is. So you can grab your copy right now at Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I want to read to you one of the two sections in the U.S. Constitution on elections that the court decided on today. And then I want to explain to you how imbecilic and disingenuous this decision was. And why this decision came down the way it did. It's really quite simple. The Elections Clause of the Constitution provides this part of it, quote, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So in the state, the legislature is the beginning and the end. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the places of choosing senators. Now, The word legislature is in there. There's a common understanding of a legislature. It's not complicated. This is one of the clear pieces of text in the Constitution. How else could they have written it? And it was obviously drafted at the Constitutional Convention. It was adopted at the Constitutional Convention. And it was adopted by the ratifying states. But that's not good enough for the U.S. Supreme Court. That's not good enough for governors, for boards of supervisors, boards of elections, state courts, lower federal courts. It's not good enough. That's right. seems pretty plain to me. But the Democrats, in advance of this decision, have had a full court press, and I mean the Democrats and the media and elsewhere, suggesting that if you rule that the language in the Constitution says what it says, then there must be something wrong with you. This is a unique theory. It's a theory that the state legislatures have the final say. And that there isn't state court review, And the U.S. Supreme Court today even expanded it to federal court review. So the state legislature is just a bit player, and it can be overruled by state courts, by federal courts. And you remember all this during the last election, correct? So the Supreme Court just rewrote the Constitution. Remember the first hour where I read at some length about our Constitution. And that what it takes is virtuous people to embrace it. To follow it. To execute. Well, we lack virtuous people in the high positions in America today. Busy running around trying to get Trump. That's pretty much all they do these days. Oh, and destroy the country. before I get into the case I want you to know that the kooks at MSNBC and Obama a kook himself and he spent his career condemning the constitution and those who drafted it. While well, they praised Roberts the chief justice who wrote the majority decision and blew out the text Kavanaugh Kavanaugh who was so beaten down by the left he's doing everything he can to to build up his cred and Barrett The biggest disappointment of them all, last days of the Trump administration, she is confirmed. She's considered a scholar. It turns out she's just another rhino because she's under the wing of Roberts. And this is, after all, the Roberts court, and he doesn't like all the talk about a right-wing court. This case is imbecilic, the majority decision. It is illogical, completely illogical. On two grounds. Number one, this case was already resolved, even though it went up to the Supreme Court by the Supreme Court of North Carolina. The petitioners, including the Speaker of the North Carolina House, said that the North Carolina Supreme Court did not have the power to change the district lines that were determined by the Republican state legislature. It didn't have that power. And they cited, among other things, this section of the Constitution. We get to make these decisions. The people who elect us, we get to make these decisions. Well, guess what? In the next election, the subsequent election, the people of North Carolina elected a new Supreme Court, a new Supreme Court of Majority, I should say, and that court reversed the prior court and agreed with the Republican speaker. And the case was over. There were no issues for the U.S. Supreme Court. That happens from time to time, you know. But the U.S. Supreme Court didn't drop the case. It wanted to give an opinion. The majority wanted to give an opinion. Even though there was no issue left to adjudicate the petitioners as a result of the state election and the new majority on the state Supreme Court, they won. They won their issue. But the U S Supreme court, the majority said, no, we want to take this up. Now, number one, that is outrageous. That means the court wants to play in this field an activist role. It had literally no basis for ruling anything today. Because the people who brought the case, their case was satisfied. It was over. It's moot. But Roberts, the Chief Justice, the three Marxist radicals on the court who always stand together when it comes to a major case, and now the two other rhinos, they wanted to hear the case. They wanted to decide on the case. Now, what did they decide? What did they decide? language seems pretty clear, doesn't it? It's plain English. I mean, if you come from a big-time law school and you've been a judge or you've been... Certainly you know how to read plain English, like a few sentences in the Constitution. Let me read them again. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, but the Congress may at any time... law, make or alter such, regulate. There's another section of the Constitution too which we've spent a lot of time on. Again, it emphasizes the role of the state legislature in the choosing of electors. Doesn't say the state, says the state legislature, and yet in other parts of the Constitution, we have a whole 10th Amendment that talks about the states, not the state legislature. But this had no impact on the six justices. Six to three, the three truly excellent justices, Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. Now before I give you the second point, the reason the justices wouldn't drop this case, particularly the three Republicans, is because they wanted to appeal to the radical left Democrat Party media that's been pounding them lately. I call John Roberts Hollywood John because he reads the news. He's on to the media. It's his court, baby. Kavanaugh, as I said, is trying to remake himself. And Barrett is a lost soul. Who is subjected to the influences of the chief justice. It's a lousy chief justice. Supreme Court ruled this MSNBC. Supreme Court rules against giving state legislatures unchecked control over federal elections. How do you like that sentence? How do you like that title? No, no, we'll give it to the courts. Instead, they'll have unchecked control. The justices rejected the, quote, independent state legislature theory, unquote. So it's a theory. There it is in black and white in the Constitution. But it's a theory, you see, America. Which was cited by Trump supporters during the 2020 election. They mean me. The theory would have restricted the power of state courts to review certain election laws. Exactly. Because the framers didn't say the states. They said the state legislature. Each state by the legislature. Thereof. Not the state thereof. They know how to write. The framers, they know how to think these things through. But <clears throat> you see, what happens here is when you abandon the Constitution and the moorings of the Constitution, you can do these sorts of things. So the three Marxists on the court, they held firm and they were joined by the three rhinos on the court. So there you go. Six to three. I'm afraid this is going to turn into another Burger court, to be perfectly honest with you. Warren Berger, I interned for Warren Berger when I was in law school. I drafted the speeches, most of them, It dealt with the poor quality of of teaching in law schools when it comes to actual litigation, because he asked me to look into those things, and I certainly enjoyed it, and I certainly did, and he was quite right. But that was a court that was all over the map, because you had leftists, you had one conservative... And then you had others who were looking for, you know, in each case, looking for a way in, a way out. I don't know. So this is the way NBC News and MSNBC reported: The Supreme Court on Tuesday declined to impose new limits on state courts, reviewing certain election-related issues by ruling against Republicans of North Carolina, fighting for a congressional district map that would heavily favor their candidates. Imagine that. Imagine having a majority party winning elections and deciding what the district should look like. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been going on since day one. Who should decide? Oh, we should have experts in Washington. And what happens? The experts are corrupted, and the next thing you know, the Democrat Party's in charge of it again. In doing so, the court declined to embrace a broad version of a hitherto obscure legal argument called the Independent State Legislature Theory. Now, by the way, this propaganda came out of Ivy League law schools, has been pushed by the media since day one, which Republicans say limits the authority of state courts to strike down certain election laws enacted by state legislatures. Supporters of former President Donald Trump cited the theory in various cases during the 2020 presidential election and its aftermath. So, of course, they go after Eastman, will eventually come after me, even though he and I never talked about this, as far as I know. It doesn't matter. This has always been my view. It's not just my view, it's the view of a number of justices in the past, including Rehnquist and so forth. But regardless of precedent and what justices thought and what justices wrote, what does the Constitution say? You have here in the federal Constitution the conference of authority on the state legislatures in federal election matters. There's not a conference on states generally. There is a conference on the state legislatures in plain English, under the federal constitution. How then does a state court get to intervene and say, no, the state legislature is wrong? It has no federal constitutional authority to interfere in a federal election matter. It doesn't matter what state courts normally do Mr. Chief Justice, it doesn't matter. If state courts normally have judicial review over state constitutional issues, Mr. Chief Justice, this is a federal constitutional issue, authority granted specifically to the state legislatures. The framers of the Constitution were a hell of a lot smarter than you, and those five others you went with you. They knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted the elected body in the state dealing with the elected body at the federal level, Congress. They didn't want all the courts in between to make decisions like this. If they did, they would have said so. They were very reluctant to empower the judiciary. They called it the weakest branch. It's now the most powerful branch, other than the fourth branch the unconstitutional mass of bureaucracy. And this is exactly the point of my book. We're being ruled by rulers. The Democrat Party's all in, but then we have this. They couldn't get what they wanted today without those three Republicans. And they got it. And no matter how much we vet these candidates, no matter their records in lower courts, no matter their records in the bureaucracy, no matter their records, they flip the vast majority of them. And I don't want to hear again from my old friend, Federal Judge Royce Lambert, how wonderful Kavanaugh was on the courts. He sucks! And I don't want to hear from the Federalist Society ever again how wonderful Barrett was when we took up her cause here. She sucks! Mark You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. New York Times, our friends at the Daily Wire. New York Times buries the lead, but confirms that Hunter Biden probe whistleblower claims by Daniel Chaitin. A new report from the New York Slimes tells of a source confirming whistleblower allegations. That constraints were, in fact, placed on the federal investigation into Hunter Biden. But it takes some digging to find out. In other words, they buried it in their column, much like they buried the Holocaust. As noted Tuesday by Washington Free Beacon reporter Chuck Ross, that guy's good. The publication waited 20 paragraphs to state the newsworthy tidbit about the source who added credibility to claims of additional charges against President Joe Biden's son getting blocked. New York Times reported in the 20th paragraph that IRS Supervisory Special Agent Garrett Chapley's whistleblower testimony claimed that a mid-2022 bid by Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss to pursue charges in Washington, D.C., got rejected by the top federal prosecutor in the nation's capital. You remember I've talked about this Matthew Graves over and over and over and over again, and he's the one that's, unleashed holy hell against protesters on January 6th. I'm not talking about violence, just any. And to a man and a woman, the, the black-robed honors there, judges, have thrown the book and the book and the book after one of these citizens after another. And here we are in Hunter Biden's case. Same jurisdiction. And Mr. Graves, the U.S. attorney there, with all kinds of links to the Democrat Party, And, of course, they don't mention Mr. Graves appointed by Biden. No, no, no. David Weiss, the Wilmington U.S. attorney appointed by Trump. But what happened to Mr. Graves, the U.S. attorney appointed by Biden? They never say that. So Chuck Ross pointed out the New York Times waited 20 paragraphs to state the newsworthy tidbit about the source who added credibility to claims of additional charges against Biden's Biden's son Hunter. The New York Times reported in the 20th paragraph that IRS supervisory special agent Gary Shapley's whistleblower testimony claimed that a mid-2022 bid by Delaware's U.S. Attorney David Weiss to pursue charges in Washington, D.C., got rejected by the top federal prosecutor in the nation's capital. Why? Oh, they're busy getting Trump. Quote, a similar request to prosecutors in the Central District of California, which includes L.A., was also rejected. Mr. Shapley testified the report of The New York Times added in the 21st paragraph. And they said in the 21st paragraph, a second former IRS official who's not been identified told House Republicans the same story. That episode was confirmed independently to The New York Times By a person with knowledge of the situation. There were six people in that meeting who were witnesses who heard the same damn thing. Mr. Shapely wrote it in an email who took copious notes. Smart man. Reporting about the source could be significant as Attorney General Meritless Garland has denied allegations of political interference in the investigation, which so far has amounted to a plea deal for Hunter Biden for tax and gun violations. Ross and others called out the New York Times for the low-priority placement. New York Times buries in the 21st paragraph that it has an independent source who confirms the two IRS whistleblowers claim that David Weiss said he was blocked from bringing charges against Hunter Biden in California. Of course they did, responded the House Judiciary Committee GOP's account. They buried the lead, added Jason Foster, a former investigative counsel in the Senate who founded Government Watchdog Group Empower Oversight. Tristan Levitt, president of Empower Oversight and a lawyer representing Shapley, responded with a pair of exclamation points. The best way to read stories in the New York Times or the Washington Post is from the bottom up, tweeted David Harsany, senior editor at The Federalist. By the way, we reached out to Mr. Levitt. Did we get any response, Mr. Reduce? We reached out to the other lawyer for Mr. Shapley. Did we get any response from him? We reached out to Mr. Shapley directly. Did we get any response from him? Three times and we're out, I guess. Mr. Garland, Friday, pushed back on the whistleblower allegations. He said he was given complete authority to make all decisions on his own. I don't know how it would be possible for anybody to block him from bringing prosecution, given that he has the authority. And I broke those words down with you on Friday. The Attorney General has also denied assertions that Weiss sought but was turned down special counsel status. How many times have I said, why haven't they appointed a special counsel, for God's sakes? Which could have allowed him broader authority to bring charges outside of his jurisdiction. Mr. Weiss never made that request, Garland said. Mr. Weiss doesn't have to make that request, Mr. Garland. That's on you. Weiss sent a letter to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan this month in which the U.S. Attorney indicated he'd been granted the ultimate authority in the Hunter Biden matter, including for prosecutions consistent with federal law Well, he's got a problem on his hands, too, because there's contemporaneous email, other notes, witnesses. Oh, my goodness. And it's good. Because Mr. McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is looking at impeachment hearings. How do I know? From PJ Media. Our buddy Matt Margolis, one of the best. McCarthy said state for possible impeachment hearings against Merrick Garland. On Sunday, House Speaker McCarthy indicated the House GOP could ignite an impeachment inquiry against scandal-plagued U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland. The inquiry is predicated on whether IRS Criminal Supervisory Special Agent Gary Shapley's claim, the U.S. Attorney Wise wanted to appoint he appointed a special counsel for the Department of Justice investigation in honor Biden proves to be accurate. Well, now we have a second. A second source. From the New York Times. They buried it, but some of us can read to the 20th and 21st paragraph, can't we, America? Shapley named six witnesses to Weiss's claim during the October meeting in a statement from his legal team. Six Witnesses. In October 7, 2022, meeting at the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office, U.S. Attorney David Weiss told six witnesses he did not have authority to charge in other districts and had thus requested special counsel status, Shapley's attorney said in a statement. Those six witnesses include, and they named them, Baltimore FBI special agent in charge Tom Sobosinski, an assistant special agent in charge, Rishia Holly, IRS assistant special counsel in charge, Gary Shapley. And special agent in charge, Darrell Walden, who also independently and contemporaneously corroborated Mr. Shapley's account in an email. Now public. So that's three, really. You've got Shapley, you've got Darrell Walden, and you've got it anonymous and out in L.A. That's three. Three against Garrett, uh, uh, Mary Garland. Three seems to me. Seems to me the uh, the standard has been met for an impeachment inquiry, and why an impeachment inquiry gives them much more broad authority. Chapel has no explanation for why Weiss would make these statements if they weren't true. His legal team argues that since his statement can be corroborated, it's up to Mr. Weiss and the Justice Department. It's up to them to make it clear. Now McCarthy gave a date for when the impeachment inquiry could begin. Well, you apparently don't follow me on Twitter, he said, because yesterday I laid out, he says this to uh, Brian Kilmeade, yesterday I laid out very, very clearly, by July 6th, because of the allegations from the IRS, because of the whistleblowers, what Garland is saying And what Mr. David Weiss is saying privately are two different things. If it comes true, what the IRS whistleblower is saying, we're going to start impeachment inquiries on the Attorney General. By my calculation, Mr. Producer, January sixth is two days after. Excuse me, July sixth is two days after July fourth. That would be Thursday, next Thursday. That would be very, very important. But there's more in the Hunter Biden scandal. I know. Mika Brzezinski is focused on Trump. I got it. I'm focused where I'm focused. Fox News. Hunter demanded $10 million from Chinese energy firm because Bidens are the best and have connections. So we have more contemporaneous evidence against the Bidens. This is on top of the text. That by now you're well familiar with. Hunter Biden told Chinese energy companies his family is, quote, "the best I know," and doing exactly what the chairman wants from his partnership unquote, "What does the chairman want? Access." And of course, uh, I, let, let's step back, step back. I'm giving you a lot of it let's step back and, and think this through. Joe Biden has single-handedly destroyed our energy system in this country. He's using climate change as camouflage and self-righteous proclamations and executive orders. They're shutting down drilling. They're shutting down drilling in federal areas. They're making it almost impossible to have any new drilling, whether on the continental United States or offshore or anywhere else they're shutting down fracking, they're not approving pipelines, they're closing those down, they're destroying our energy infrastructure, destroying it. Then they claim we're all going to go towards clean energy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if we have no energy, that's the cleanest energy there is. But it makes for a very horrible life, doesn't it? So I want to go further. So they say they want to go with electric vehicles. Most of the material in these electric vehicles come from communist China. They say they want to go with electricity. Well, we're not going to have enough electricity. The experts have said when you cut off coal, natural gas, that is fracking and all the rest, that is what creates electricity. It doesn't just happen. And you think to yourself, what are we doing to ourselves? We're committing energy suicide. So who benefits from all this? Who benefits from all this, Mr. Producer? The Communist Chinese. They build the solar power panels. They build those massive propellers that are outrageous. They build the batteries for our cars, electric vehicles, because they have the coal boat and all the rest. They've sewn all that up. They've locked it up. Joe Biden is not doing things that benefit us. He's doing things that benefit communist China. Think about it. Think about it. The communist Chinese have benefited enormously by Joe Biden. We even had a special unit at the Department of Justice focused on communist Chinese government spies stealing our intelligence. The FBI director said this is our greatest threat. Joe Biden shut it down. He shut it down. He said he doesn't like the ethnic connotation that's applied to it. Why are we picking on the communist Chinese? What do you mean, why are we picking on the communist Chinese? He shut it down. Joe Biden has delivered for the Communist Party regime in China. He's delivered for them. His, his guy John Kerry has delivered for them. Bernie Sanders has delivered for them. The Democrat Party has delivered for the Communist Chinese and is destroying our energy infrastructure and energy independence. I hope everybody understands this. The Communist Chinese got their money's worth and a hell of a lot more. This is a massive cover-up that's taking place right now. The Biden family sold out the country. Any serious effort, even by patriotic and courageous IRS officials, mid-level FBI officials, being shut down by U.S. attorneys, including in Washington, D.C., With the drop of a hat, go after average citizens for anything and everything. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You're in the right place, certainly today. Every day. Three hours a day. And now you've heard the Supreme Court has ruled that affirmative action is out when it comes to colleges and universities and admissions. Justice Roberts wrote the decision. He did say, look, there's no problem with individuals telling their life story. Typically, you write these essays to get into college and university, It's not just part of an SAT or so forth. But you have to do that as an individual. You can't speak for an entire race, and you can't be treated as an entire race, one applicant. That's stereotypical. Ladies and gentlemen, there were a number of Asian American students who brought this lawsuit against Harvard. Harvard created a racist, bigoted admissions policy against Asians. It even stereotyped Asians, saying that they don't really have the kind of personalities that would lend themselves to the diverse student population that we seek here at Harvard College. This is flat-out racism. The Congressional Black Caucus is appalled at what the Supreme Court did. The three radical leftists on the court, obviously... They endorsed racism. Joe Biden, who I'll get to in a minute, the last remaining of the old white supremacists, he says he's severely disappointed. There's something wrong with the court. So it's okay if you treat Asian Americans differently than everybody else, according to Joe Biden. Everybody else. Now let's get something straight. These Democrats are resegregating our society. You have dorms for blacks and whites. You have commencement for blacks and whites. Critical race theory separates the nation into blacks and whites. They are resegregating our society. They're resegregating our country. No longer e plur No longer diversity, yes, but one culture. No, no, no. Never. These same Democrats, and I will call them George Wallace Democrats, the Congressional Black Caucus, George Wallace Democrats, Joe Biden, George Wallace Democrats, the three dummies on the court, George Wallace Democrats. That's what they are. George Wallace would be thrilled with the conclusions that they've reached. Thrilled. Asian Americans today, African Americans tomorrow. After that, Hispanic Americans. What's the stop a college or university or anything else? 50 years ago, it was Jews. 70 years ago, it was blacks. Today it's Asians. Same damn Democrat Party. The George Wallace Party. The remnants, certainly intellectually, are still all around us. Just look. Yes, they say. State institutions and private institutions of higher learning should be able to discriminate against people based on their heritage. Wow. George Wallace would be proud. Not so much Abraham Lincoln. These same George Wallace Democrats oppose school choice. They pretend that they want minorities, other than Asians, of course, and Jews, of course, but they want minorities to have equity. But they do not want minorities to have an opportunity when it comes to crossing the lines of the government Democrat Party teacher unions. Isn't that amazing? Where's the Congressional Black Caucus on there? Nowhere. Because their coffers are lined with teachers union money and their army of teachers on election day. First things first here, folks. Where are all the white intellectuals about school choice for little black kids? They oppose it. They want government schools. Nothing more, nothing less. Doesn't matter if test scores are gone down the toilet. Doesn't matter if little kids that are going to school or facing criminalization and, and other horrific things when they get there. Doesn't matter. No school choice, but yes, racial discrimination and resegregating America, that they're for. The George Wallace Party is still with us. And it is amazing to see how many minority, black, so called leaders, activists sound like George Wallace. It doesn't amaze me that Biden sounds like George Wallace. They used to be one of his heroes. Sotomayor is an ignoramus. Writing for the minority. Talks about superficial neutrality. Superficial neutrality. Really? Can I read you something, folks? There's so much to cover here. Stick with me. I've already broken this down in a way that nobody else can. No brag, just fact. Race. Racial quotas in medical school admissions. This is what we had until today. Discrimination against Asian Americans seeking entry into Harvard. Segregating college dorm rooms and graduation ceremonies. Dumbing down school curricula sabotaging merit scholarship programs, issuing presidential executive orders that, for instance, exclude white farmers and other privileged racial groups. Yes, this is from the Democrat Party Hates America. Isn't it it amazing? Because of the emphasis on race as the basis for all behaviors and outcomes. And allegations of irreversible white racism based on Skin color at birth. Critical race theory and what I call, and I've invented this phrase now, civil rights Marxism. Civil rights Marxism, that's what this is. Dehumanize the individual and groups of individuals. Ironically, the scholars and activists promoting this point of view use dehumanizing stereotypes, not only to label white people, but to describe black individuals in the black community. After all, in the end... Marxism of any kind is built on the false foundation of oppressor and oppressed class identifications. Abraham X. Kendi, director of the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University, is one of the leading bigots in America, in my view, and a leading advocate of CRT, has written to say, ready? To say that there is widespread racial inequity caused by widespread racism and by the way, this sounds like Sonoma opinion. She's all in, baby. To say that there's widespread racial inequity caused by widespread racism, which makes the U.S. racist, isn't an opinion. It isn't a partisan position. It's a doctrine. It isn't a left-wing construct. its isn't anti-white. its an isn't anti-American. It's fact. In fact, CRT scholars and activists dismiss all social efforts, economic programs, laws, court rulings, even the Civil War, and the presidencies of Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant, as well as Martin Luther King's courageous activism and speeches, as little more than transparent and self-serving attempts by the white dominant society, or those who go along and help perpetuate white privilege, knowingly or otherwise, to paste over... the. Excuse me, the incurably flawed American founding. The civil rights Marxists, again as I call them, also reject both the idea and pursuit of a colorblind society. This gets to the nub of the matter. They're the modern day segregationists. They're the modern day racists. Lest we forget, Peter C. Myers... Visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation reminds us that for Frederick Douglass, none of these phony civil rights leaders today can hold a candle to Frederick Douglass. In the 19th century's greatest abolitionist and civil rights advocate, he said, An abiding faith in reason and truth and justice sustained an expectation that the color line will cease to have any civil, political, or moral significance in America. The most famous dissenting opinion in U.S. Supreme Court history. By the way, this is Douglas. Justice John Marshall Harlan provided a more focused expression of that sentiment, explaining his vote in Plessy v. Ferguson to invalidate a law mandating racial segregation on train cars. He said, our Constitution's colorblind. (coughs) Excuse me. Law regards man as man. Takes no account of his color when his civil rights as guaranteed by the supreme law of the land are involved. In his brief for the plaintiffs in landmark Brown v. Board of Education, Thurgood Marshall argued, distinctions based upon race or color alone are the epitome of the arbitrariness and capriciousness constitutionally impermissive under our system of government. He said three score and seven years after Plessy came to the most resounding statement of all, when the Reverend Martin Luther King junior stood under the shadow of Abraham Lincoln and immortalized the moral vision of the civil rights movement by declaring I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged by the color of their not be judged, excuse me, where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The Democrat Party believes in none of this. Today, civil rights Marxism, again as I call it, preaches and demands the opposite. For example, Kendi has declared the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. They're going after Asians. Did Asians own slaves in America in the 1840s and 50s? I don't believe so. How ridiculous. The only remedy to present discrimination, he says, is future discrimination. These are the Marxists. That's the demand for equity. Indeed, the movement has come up with a new term for condemning colorblindness. You want to hear this one? Colorblind racism. Did you know that's a new phrase? No, when you get the Democrat Party hates America, you're going to learn a lot of things. In fact, a column by Danny Bostic, an educator and contributor to the Huffington Compost, further illustrates the point. She asserts colorblindness foists whiteness on everyone. It is another way of saying I view everyone as if they were white. Your default color for sameness is white. She says colorblindness strips non-white people of their uniqueness. Your default culture for sameness is white culture. When you encourage your child to be colorblind and view everyone as the same, you're projecting white on people who aren't white, negating their experiences, traditions, and uniqueness. Again, this could sound like Sotomayor's outrageously pathetic opinion colorblindness suppresses critically important narratives of oppression she says once you view everyone through a colorblind white lens you deny the reality that non-white people face she says color the great huffington compost dana bostick colorblindness assumes everyone has the same experience here in america when you fail to see color you fail to recognize injustice and oppression she said colorblindness promotes the idea that non-white races are inferior. When you teach your child to be colorblind, you're essentially telling them, if someone isn't white, pretend they look like you so you can be friends. Stripping people of a fundamental aspect of their identity by claiming not to see color as dehumanizing. Get it? We've gone from, don't make decisions, don't. Embrace stereotypes based on the color of somebody's skin. Treat them like an individual human being. To do. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. Do not, do not allow this evil Democrat party, their corrupt media, and these civil rights Marxists... To take control of the language, to take control of the issue. They are the racists. They are the biggest. They are the bigots. They are the haters. We stand here in defense of Asian Americans and all Americans against the Democrat Party system that they've put in place to punish people based on their race and skin color. They've been doing it too damn long. They caused a damn civil war in this country. An entire civil rights movement had to rise up against the Democrat Party. And now they pretend that they're protecting minorities. And they have plenty of Marxist law professors as guests all over TV telling you the same thing. Oh, that majority on the court, you know. I know what. And they all fall in line, don't they? Here's Biden. He goes to MSNBC today. Hold on. He goes to MSNBC today. One of his safe places. Go. Go. Senate colleagues on the Judiciary Committee would go as far as to say that it's anti-democratic. Do you agree with that? Why would well, you ask such a stupid-ass question, to Cole Wallace? Because you are one. Such a lightweight... You, you are so divisive for this country. You are the worst of the worst, in my view. Talk about chameleons. You're just like Biden. Go from John McCain to this. Go ahead. You know, if I say it's anti-democratic, then it gets Get off a lot the of ball. trouble, <laughs> no, 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 but, but it, it is. It's its value system is different and and it's, its respect for institutions is different. And in that sense, it is uh, it is not uh, as that's di- enough. Ladies and gentlemen. I don't need to. This guy's at five level dimension, and I say that not as a, a joke, I also put this in the book. Look it up. He's at five level dementia. And that's what all this is about. His affectations are not affectations, they're consequences. But he says the value system. I don't need lectures from Joe Biden on values, he needs lectures from us. We don't need lectures from the Democrat Party on values or race. We don't need lectures from the Democrat Party on equality. Because they oppose it all. And they always have. This is the party that's destroying America. Because they hate America. America that allows Asian kids, based on merit, to go to Harvard College. That's America. Not what the Democrat Party is peddling. Not what their propagandists and demagogues in the media are peddling. Not what their... Not what their president is peddling. And then to trash the Supreme Court. I've had my differences with this court and these justices. And I've made it abundantly clear... And I don't attack the entire institution. Oh, I've made some reform ideas. But listen to the way he talks. They have a different value system on the court. How come nobody talks about that inciting violence? How come nobody says that he's attacking the independence of the court? How come nobody says that that's not the quiet launch of an insurrection? Or a dog whistle to violent people? None of it. So if you support race neutral, colorblind society, you don't share their damn values. You're right, I don't. Not for a second. Hell, anyone can even be a part of such a disgusting party, I don't know. Look, I've told you plenty of times, you can go to Amazon.com or these other places and pre-order your copy, The Democrat Party Hates America. It's the finest book I've ever written. I think it's the most important book I've ever written because we're up against it.